Just remain standing if you can. I want to take you to the Word. Thank you, choir, because you have taken us at another level of praise. Amen. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes. This is the third service, and I guess we're just kind of getting better every time. Take your scriptures as you stand and honor the Word and turn to 2 Samuel. That is the second book of Samuel, chapter number 12. I welcome you in the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has welcomed you by honoring us with His presence. While you find that reference, I want to say to all the men that there's a special Life Builders, which is a men's conference called Life Builders, in the month of April, which is only a day away or so, 18 and 19, a Friday evening and a Saturday in Powder Springs at Trinity Chapel Worship Center. I'd like for you to join me there, if you will. Go with us. We'll have a special day of just men, an evening of Friday and then Saturday. Special guests like Dr. Mark Rutland, special guests like Bishop Eddie Long, and others who will speak into our lives, men, as men, as fathers, as sons, and men of God. And there are registration forms available in both locations of both buildings, the Welcome Center and Atrium. $25 is the cost, and it covers all the expenses that will be involved, including lunch. Please contemplate that and join me and others. And uh, our brother Everett, Everett, just lift your hand here. Uh, our brother Everett Winkles will be glad to accommodate you in any way by questions or comments that you might need to have made regarding what is going to happen. And I want you to share that. We'll tell you more about it later. Here is the word of the Lord for this day, as he would order it. Chapter 12, verse number 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man, well, he had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man. The rich man refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse number 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. No pity. But Nathan said to David, You are the man. I, I wanted to title it, You're the man. But that's not what I needed. I really needed this, this, this title here. Who's your Nathan? Because we all need one. I too, and I especially. Bow for a moment, please. And so, Heavenly Father, this is a lovely congregation and a beautiful day in spite of the, the great clouds. We need the great clouds because some of those produce rain that we desperately need. Say amen, church. And God, I thank you for the rain that fell during the night. I thank you for filling up the streams, the rivers, the ponds, the reservoirs. Thank you, God. Thank you for water to uh, drink, wash, bathe, clean. Thank you for water. And now we need the water of life. Say amen, somebody. Lord, would you again open up the heavens, but this time send spiritual rain. And let it fall on us and in us, O oh God. Let the Holy Spirit uh, prepare our hearts, quicken us, 
Let nobody be left out, O God. Holy Spirit, speak through me today and separate me from any carnal, fleshly agenda. I'm not here to exploit these people and you didn't raise me up to do that. I'm not here to entertain and I'm not here to perform. They don't want that either. What we all want is a right now word that will feed us, change us, and help us to reach others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Keep your Bibles open, please, to that reference. Everybody who has been around Sunday school for a while or Bible study or church for, you know, a reasonable time have heard of David, King David. David is one of the most prominent persons in Scripture. I have been reading about his life for the last two weeks in my personal Bible study. And, and though I've read about his life before, I have discovered this time a portion of Scripture that the Holy Spirit drew me to that I have not concentrated on in the past that I recall. It's amazing to me, brothers and sisters, how a man who could live 3,000 years ago could have, with his life experiences, such relevant application for we who are living right now. That's what's the beauty about the Bible. And David is so prominent in Scripture that the Bible says, oh, we understand that his biography is contained in 62 chapters of the Old Testament and he is mentioned in the New Testament about 59 times. He is mentioned more in both Testaments than any other single Bible character. So there must be a reason for that. And yet with his such uh, prominence in Scripture, yet this David, the great man of God, committed a series of terrible sins that led to some rather serious consequences. When David was about 50 years old, he committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah. Uriah was a soldier in David's army. When he committed adultery, rather than immediately facing it up to it and confessing it to be sin, he covered it up by premeditated murder. And for the greater part of one year, from the time where he did that, one year transpired, and during that time, he lived a life of hypocrisy and deception. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers, commenting on this passage, says, during this time in David's life, his world became a world of guarded, miserable Secrecy. See, David didn't just commit adultery. There are a number of other sins that accompanied his deed. First, there was lust. Because the scripture says that he went over on the, he went on the balcony of his palace on a given evening. And overlooking the balcony, he saw in some distance a woman bathing. And while she may not know when she was being looked at, he was indeed. He glanced more than just quickly. He glanced long enough and stared until lust created in his heart. And when it was created, it gave way to adultery. Because he sent one of his servants to inquire who she was. The servant came back and said, she is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Well, that's a no-brainer. A wife. She's already taken, committed. Okay? Hands off. But no, he, uh, he sends for her, 
has her to come in the palace and he's intimate with her sexually. That's adultery, lust and adultery. Well, they thought, well, okay, that's a one-night stand. That will be over and, okay, I'm king anyhow. But not many days thereafter, maybe several weeks perhaps, she sends word to the king that she's now pregnant. Well, the king says, well, you know, that can't be. I'm not going to have that. And here's what I'll do. So what he does is, this is where hypocrisy comes in, his third sin. He sends for her husband, Uriah, who is fighting in warfare in David's army. David's army is led by Joab. David should have been fighting in the army. He's king. The scripture says it was that time of the year when kings go out to battle. And sometimes we get into the wrong stuff when we're doing something other than we're supposed to do. He sent for Uriah, the woman's husband, and got this plan. He brought him to the palace as a soldier. He wined him and dined him. That evening, got him intoxicated. And he kind of made it look like he was giving him a little furlough from the army. He said, now go home and spend the night with your wife and enjoy a little break and you can go back to the army tomorrow. And Uriah was more righteous than the king. He said, oh, wait a minute, king. I appreciate your hospitality. But I'm not going to my wife. I'm not going to spend the night there because I just came from the battle scene. My fellow soldiers are shedding, risking their lives. Some of them shed their blood for the kingdom. How can I go and be with my wife and spend with her when, when they're at risk? I, I'm going to sleep at your gate. He slept at the palace gate. Didn't go home. David thought, well, if he went home, see, he would spend time with his wife. They perhaps would be in union as man and wife would be. And then when word got out that Bathsheba was pregnant, then Uriah would say, well, that happened when I was on leave. But he didn't go home. Well, David said, I'm going to try one more time. And so he had him to the palace one more time that next evening. And he gave him more food. And he got him intoxicated. and said, now go home and be with your wife. Well, he didn't do it that time either. Well, how's David going to? My goodness, my plan's not working. First there's lust, then there's adultery, then there's hypocrisy. Here's what he says. He said, Uriah, I got a special message for you. Take it back to Joab. Gave him a parchment. And then he, David wrote in the parchment a note to Joab, the general of the army, and said, Uriah, you take this. Private instructions to your commander. Uriah's thinking, well, I didn't come home in vain. The king has a special mission for me to send a message to the commander. The message was... Put Uriah, the man who's carrying this note, put him in the area of the battle where it's more intense. Put him in the area of the battle where there's a higher probability that he will get killed. He was carrying his own death warrant. Isn't it amazing what sin does to cover up? Uriah takes his death sentence. Joab does exactly what the king says, and the man is murdered. His wife grieves for a season, and then Joseph takes his wife, Bathsheba, as his own wife. Now, now, I tell you all that because what I want you to see is when you look at this situation in David's life, and you see that, that, that the time passed from the time where he did these sins and nothing happened to him, days went by, weeks went by, and went into months. And if you read that section of Scripture, you might think that the righteous God of heaven was asleep, and he was going to let David pass on this sin. You might think like one fellow said, one writer said, it looked like in this case, 
sin really does pay. But let me tell you something. It does pay, but not what you think. Because in Romans 6 and 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Boy, it pays. And let me tell you something. about Sin may not pay immediately. It may be committed now. And it may not, there may not be consequences for a long time. But when it pays, it's going to pay a far lot more than one intended. It's just like sowing one seed of corn in the ground in the springtime and you get a whole stalk. That's a good kind of sowing. Sin is... Uh, okay, okay. So, David... Here's, my, here's why I'm going with this lesson. I want to show you two things from the Word of God. I want to show you, number one, how David was confronted by Nathan, the prophet of God. I want to show you that because there are times that God will raise up somebody to confront us if we're not willing to respond to His Holy Spirit nudging at our hearts or other kinds of ways of getting our act together. And then I want to show you what is the proper way to confront. And then I also want to show you how when one deals with difficult people and sins with wisdom, how it leads to true repentance, genuine repentance. There's a false kind of repentance and there's a right kind of repentance. Can I get an amen here? So let me give you a little more background. I have come to believe from this section of the Scriptures, brothers and sisters, Studying the life of David, if you take notes, observe this. There are times when God will use us, you or me, to confront sin and sinners. You might not have thought of it, but think about it as I tell you some more. Confronting the sin problem in our family, in our marriage, confronting the sin problem with our children or our grandchildren or in the church is not only left up to just the pastor and the clergy. Oh, no. Matter of fact, brothers and sisters, I believe that when we know there's sin in the camp, when we know our children are sinning, when we know there's sin in our marriage, when we know there's sin in the church or other places, and God reveals that to us, He's not just telling us at times, just go pray about it, just go pray about it. Yes, you ought to go pray about it. But God is also saying, there's a reason why I showed you this, and I trust you with this, and when the right time comes, I want you to be a Nathan. Oh, I'm preaching now. Yeah. See, now here's the thing. God's not just sending Nathans to us. And I need them along the way. I wish I could tell you that I was so polished and clean after I got saved and everything was right. I had it all down pat. I didn't need somebody to rebuke me in love. All along the way, I need people who love me and care about me and will use wisdom to tell me, Pastor, this, this may be another way that you could have done this or there's another way you should have done that. Or I need my mother to say, my father to say, my wife to say, look, Alan, there, there's some things. You know, so all of us, in, as we serve the Lord, thank God for the Nathans He puts in our lives. But here's something else. He also can make you a Nathan to deal with things that, that he wants you to deal with and confront. Now, when I talk about confrontation, I don't mean that, that we, get, we kind of blatantly take charge of it. You know, when I say confrontation, somebody might think we have this kind of attitude. Bless God, I'm going to clean house. Somebody needs to crack the, crack the whip around here and I'll be the one to crack it. I'm not talking about that kind of confrontation. How many of you know that the Bible says that everything we do should be done decently and in order. Say amen. Yeah. The Bible also says that God is not the author of confusion. I would say this to you, that God is not into shaming people and embarrassing people just because He can. I know people in their adult years, they are now married and they have their own children, but they resent their parents 
for treating them the way they did when they were growing up. There are people who are now adults who will say, yes, I deserve for my mother to correct me or my father to correct me when I was a child, a teenager, and I deserved it, but the way they did it. They embarrassed me in front of my aunt or my uncle or at some Thanksgiving something. They embarrassed me publicly in school when they could have done it another way. But because they were my mama and daddy and because they had the power, they used their power in a way that hurt me. God does not do that and he doesn't call us to do that either. Amen? Now, let, let, me, let me hasten with the lesson here. I have come to find out that in order to be effective in confrontation and being a Nathan... We need to prepare ourselves with at least four things. It's found in our scripture. The first thing you do if God has shown you a problem or a difficult situation and you've prayed over it and then God says, now go, the first thing you have to do is have absolute truth. Yeah. Don't go confronting anybody with just hearsay. Get the facts. Getting the facts may take some time. You have to do some investigating. Nathan did. But if there's genuine love and concern for the parties involved in wrong, then we don't mind taking a little time to get the facts and investigating. But by investigating, I'm not implying that you go and gossip and slander. Well, I'm investigating, Pastor, so I'll go over here and say, did you know Pastor Jeff did so-and-so? That is not investigating. That is gossiping if you don't have the facts. You all are quiet out there, but I'll preach on until we get to a shouting place. Huh? Go over here and say, because you're hurt, because of what they did, you're hurt, but you're trying to be Christ-like, but yet you start saying, asking people who don't have a clue and they don't want to have a clue, but because you're hurt, you're using investigation as a means of spreading gossip. That is not God's way. Don't you know that, that Nathan kind of got word along the way, the, the man of God about David, when somebody came to him and said to him, a week after this happened, did you know who was at the palace the other night? Ah, no, Nathan, I said, I don't know. Later on, he says, he probably gets a little rumor that, uh, did you know the king took another wife? Oh, yeah, he took Bathsheba. Nathan's thinking, but isn't Bathsheba the wife of Uriah? Yeah, Nathan's thinking, he's investigating in his mind, my life, what's going on? Then later down the road, somebody says, did you know Uriah died? No, Uriah, the Hittite, the soldier. Yeah, he was at the king's palace just the day before and he died the next day. And all the time, Nathan is saying, I don't want to, I want, I don't want to confront anybody, especially the king. Confrontation is so sensitive. It could be so damaging if you don't have the facts. It could ruin a friendship and destroy relationships. And so, so what, what Nathan is saying, uh, he's getting the facts and he's not going to, they said, she said, he said. He gets the primary source, which is God. God gives him the approval. Absolute truth. Don't go unless you have the truth. Wait. Here's a second way of confronting properly. Right timing. Say amen by faith. Listen to this statement. If people are confronted at the wrong time, it can result in driving them deeper into their misbehavior. Yeah. If you don't have the fact and you confront somebody about a lifestyle or a behavior that they're not yet in, but they're hanging around the people who are doing it, and you assume they're doing it, if, if you confront them in the wrong timing, in the wrong way, you might drive them to do it just because you have treated them poorly and you've judged them before they're worthy of being judged this way. Right timing. 
You know, I, I believe that sometimes in the church, because I'm in the church and you are too, but I, I, as a leader in the church, sometimes we Christians, we hear things and we see things and we feel terribly about it and we feel like it needs immediate attention. So we kind of want to use that Barney Fife problem-solving technique that he has. And you remember Barney Fife from uh, Andy Griffith? You know, Barney Fife, the guy, the deputy sheriff that they only give one bullet to in a six-shooter because he has a way of solving problems that you can't trust him at all six. Barney Fife, Barney Fife's problem-solving technique is nip it, nip it, nip it. And if you don't have the facts at the right time, and you can nip it and kill it. Now, we all have, ought to have the zeal for righteousness, but I truly believe there's a reason why God did not allow Nathan, the prophet, to confront the king for a whole year. Right timing is this. You might want to write it down. Right timing involves God getting the person ready that you have to talk to while he's getting you ready to talk to them. Here's the question. When will you know the timing is right? Or oh, you'll know it. You'll know it for at least two reasons. Number one, you'll know it because you have spent time in prayer over it. Come on and help me here, somebody. If you truly love your brother, your sister in Christ, and you have to confront them, if you truly love your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, or somebody on the job and you care about their well-being, you are going to pray over what you have to say. Amen, somebody. And after you pray about it, here's another reason you'll know it's the right timing. You'll examine your motives. If your motive is egotistical and carnal, it's not the right time. If your motive is, bless God, I'm the pastor, and I'm God's man of faith and power, and I'll clean the house. I'll, I'll show them he's a real leader. For ego, that's the wrong time to go. If, if, if your motive is, I'll come out smelling good here. I'll come out, and by the way, it'll satisfy my flesh. Yeah, he'll say, I'm mad as a hornet, and he'll just make me feel good. That's the wrong motive, and that's not the time to go. But you'll know. You'll know because you'll be sensitive in your walk with God, and God will say, now is the time. And write this down. It won't be in the screen. When it's time, be like Nathan. Do it privately. That's an amen place. Privately. Nathan approached David privately didn't the bible say jesus say in the new testament matthew chapter 18 if you have ought against your brother or your brother has ought against you if there's strife between you and your brother maybe something they said or your sister said against you or some kind of issue or contention first go to them one-on-one -on -one. didn't the bible say that can i get an amen here and if they refuse to hear you and receive you, then take somebody else who is spiritual. If they don't want to hear you alone or you and somebody else, then take them before proper leadership, privately. How many know we still ought to live by the Word of God that says, Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Say amen to that. There's a third way you confront effectively. And that's wise wording. Give me an amen, somebody. I'm really impressed with Nathan the prophet because I know he was mad that David did this thing. Angry that David had so many wives, so many concubines, so many other blessings, and here he is doing what he did. And even though Nathan was filled with righteous zeal, he didn't go to David and first thing he says, You're in sin, man. I'm ashamed of you. No. 
Look at your scriptures, everybody. We're doing a little teaching here. 2 Samuel 12. If you're there, say amen. Are you all, all right out there? You're good, ain't you? Yeah. Hey, this is the last service, and you can go home like me after you have lunch. Turn on any channel. I'll probably turn on the golf channel and immediately fall asleep. This is the last service, you know? When you get, when you get my age, you can turn on any channel and fall asleep, okay? But right now, I'm going to give you a little something, okay? Here's a little something here. Look at 2 Samuel 12. You found it? Say amen. Here's the wise wording of Nathan. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, verse 1, and he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. Hmm, the king's thinking, okay. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his own bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Uh, let me pause. Hey, uh, let me come down here amongst you. You know, about, about 14 months ago, 15 months ago, I told you all that our children gave us a wedding anniversary gift. Sat us in the house. Closed our eyes. Said to my wife and I, here's something you won't buy for yourself. We're going to give it to you. And if you don't want it, we'll take it back. You knew I, I've been preaching about that immediately upon that happening. You know, when I opened my eyes, it was a little wackly tail, white toy poodle. I never wanted a dog in the house. Really don't care for one in the yard. Ne- never, really, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm about birds. I love birds. There's one in the house now. I don't mean just me. I'm a bird, yes. But, you know, more control, more confined, you know. They bring this dog. And I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> Daddy, they said, what do you want to name this dog? You remember I told you I wanted to name her Go Away. <laughs> yeah. Well, we ended up naming her Prissy. And the first six months, there was nothing Prissy about Prissy. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. I'd take that thing out to walk, and she'd walk and have a great time and come in the house and do her various numbers. <laughs> I, I bought a $139 cleaner, carpet cleaner, to follow that silly dog. <laughs> Sometimes that dog would drive me so crazy, my wife would call home and say, what are we having for dinner? I said, how about hot dogs? <laughs> But there's something that, over time, that happens, isn't it? Huh? There, there are things about dogs that they like you whether you had a bad day or a good day. They like you whether you bite them or bark at them or pet them. You know? And so over time, here I am, last night, the dog was on the bed. What, what was it? She probably washed and cleaned and all that. And all night, she slept in the middle between us. But before I knew that was happening, I said to my wife, and I, what, 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 what when we have grandkids and this dog is on the bed? My wife says, well, if we have grandkids, when we do, well, we'll buy a king-size bed <laughs> and I'll get a cell phone and call you on the cell phone when I want you to come to me. Yeah. First she slept in the bed all night last night. I never thought it. 
But we love her. I've grown to love her. When I go home, she'll be wagging her tail and jumping all over me. Uh, now I'd soon give away both my daughters, which I have, and keep Percy. I'd soon give away both my son-in-laws and keep the dog. And I, I tell you all that to tell you that this is the way this one family felt about this little ewe lamb. Did you get the story from Nathan? This one man, he had this little lamb. He don't have a flock. He don't have any other. He don't say he has any goat, cattle, sheep. He got this one little lamb. He loves this lamb so much it cuddles and it eats out of his plate and drinks out of his cup. Excuse me, ain't happening at my house. There's a place where you draw the line. Prissy will not. She has her own cup and her own plate and it ain't mine. Bless God, I'm in charge of the house. I think I said that last year, didn't I? Yeah, see where it got me. There's a, there's a traveling... There's, there's, there's a stranger that comes to town to visit the rich man. It's the rest of the story. He comes to visit the rich man. The rich man, because he has power, he goes and gets the poor man. One little animal, one little pet, kills it and barbecues it for the stranger. When the rich man could have gone to his herd and gotten a lamb and fixed it for the stranger and would have not been the less of wanting of anything, David got mad. Wise wording now. The prophet Nathan... Choose a story that appealed to the emotions of the king. The king said, why, who does he think he is? Verse 5. As long as the Lord lives, the latter part of verse 5, the man who has done this shall surely die. Not, not only that, before he's killed, he shall restore fourfold the lamb which, for the thing which he had done, because he had no pity on the poor man. And Nathan said, now is the time I must tell him, you king are the man. You are the rich man. Look in your Bibles, everybody, with haste. He goes on to say, now he has the open door, verse 7, part B. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wife into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah, both kingdoms. And if that had been too little, David, I would have also given you much more, son. Look at verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do the evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Look at verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Look at verse 11. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Look at verse 12. For you did this secretly, David, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. I want to pause here. Okay, let, let me say this. The, here, here's, the, here's the way you confront. The final thinking here is you do it fearlessly and courageously. How could Nathan be so bold with the king? It's because he prayed through before he confronted. Say amen. He had absolute truth. Number two, he had the right timing. Everybody say amen to that. He could be bold and fearless. Number three, because he chose the wise words. Do I have a scripture, Pastor J.C., about wise words in Proverbs, please, sir? Thank you very much. Here's what wise words do. It's like a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Can I get an amen? A good word in due season, carefully thought about, is like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. And I'm saying to you that verse 1 of chapter 12 says that Nathan could go to the king and be fearless because God sent him. Give me an amen by faith. 
if God sends you to somebody and you prayed up, you can go fearlessly. You can risk the loss of a friendship, but you really wouldn't lose a friend if you do it in love and you do it because God sent you. Matter of fact, when you speak to that friend or that person about what God has shown you and you have the facts then what you would have done is probably made a friend for the rest of your life because you love them enough to rescue them. You ought to give the Lord thanks with me and thank God for that. If you don't love, you won't confront. If you don't love your children, you will spoil them. You will not discipline them. But if you love your child, you'll rebuke them in love just like God does us. And we are better for it. Uh, let me show you what, what happens now. And I'm going to try to wrap it up in a few moments. When Nathan does what he does in the proper way, David repents. Genuinely. Turn in your scriptures to Psalm 51, everybody, very quickly. Psalm 51, because I want to show you four things, and then we're going to give ourselves completely in obedience to the scripture by being available for whatever God wants. Psalm 51, I'm turning there. Okay? If you look at Psalm 51, then what you find at the top of the... uh, section of the chapter where it explains what the chapter is about. Some of you have that in your Bible. In my Bible, I have a little brief thing about what the chapter is about. Psalm 51, under that it says, A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Everybody in Psalm 51 say amen. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my sins, and cleanse me from my sins. Look, look here. Here's the first thing. You know how I know he genuinely repented? Because he openly and unguardedly admitted, I'm the sinner. In order for us to get cleansing and forgiveness and to know others are truly repentant is when they are confronted with the facts, the Holy Spirit helps us and helps them to say, I'm the one. Look, if you will. Look at, look at it says here in the latter part of verse 1, it says, blot out my transgressions. I got it underlined in my Bible. He's confessing his sin. Look at verse 2. It says, my iniquity. I got that on the line. Look at verse 2. It says the last part of verse 2, my sin. But look at verse 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You see the personal pronoun? Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. I'm counting. I'm counting. One, two, three, four, five, six times in four verses where he says, Thank you, God, for loving me and caring about me. Well, you sent somebody to confront me with my sin. I've sinned. Here's the second thing about true repentance. True repentance brings with it a desire to make a complete break from sin. Say amen, somebody. I'm going to tell you something. If you ever have to confront somebody, then you understand that uh, if they tell you part of the truth or hold back some of the truth, they're not really repentant. Yeah. Really. Uh, you know about your children. How many of you have children? Huh? Yeah. Okay. You know raising your children. You confront them about something you told them not to do, not to go, not to say, not to... Be, and they tell you partially the truth. And you can tell by their body language. They're lying right out of their teeth. You can tell by the way their eyes blink so much that they got an allergy, but it normally doesn't blink. You can tell by the way they're doing their fingers or doing their hair until they get bald, that they're lying. That's not true repentance. True repentance is a desire to completely break away from sin. Not, not just I'm caught. 
Give me an amen, somebody. But, but oh, God, you know, I, it grieves your heart. But, but I, I do want to give it up. You know, some, some people are thinking, well, David got away for a whole year, and he must have lived a free, no-burdened, troubled life. No. Let me tell you something about sin. You and I may not know what's going on in somebody else's life, but sin can make them or us physically sick. I have seen people who got physically sick to the point of throwing up and having to go to the doctor and even got sick for perpetual time until they confess. Sin can make you physically sick. Somebody's thinking, well, uh, well, uh, well, David, he didn't have any sweat or any problems until Nathan came. No, look, look in your Bibles. Turn back to chapter 32 of Psalm very quickly. I just want to show you something here. Lest you think he was just having an easy, uh, non-burdened life because of his sin until it found out. Look at chapter 32 of Psalm, please. Are you there? Would you say amen? It talks about him hiding his sin in verse number 3. Chapter 32, Psalm. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, I kept silent about my sins. I was getting older. Verse 4. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Let me tell you something. Sin will make you sick. Undealt with sin will make you sick. Unless you break away from it. And, and somebody's thinking, well, David had harpists to play his, play him tunes to go to sleep. He had the finest, most comfortable bed. He lived in the palace. And he could probably sleep in his sins. No. He said, my bones grew aching and I grew old for grieving and tossing on my pillow and can't sleeping at night because I know I broke the heart of God and disobeyed him. He knew. He knew what was happening. He knew God gave him the kingship when he was just a shepherd boy, God chose him. Say amen, somebody. Nathan said to him, listen, David, God put, brought you out of obscurity and gave you prominence. God gave you power, such power as a boy. You could kill a lion or a bear with your bare hands. You killed a nine-foot-tall man by the name of Goliath with a slingshot. God gave you favor. God gave you a land. He gave you houses. He gave you both kingdoms of Israel, Judah and uh, Israel. God gave you livestock and family, wives and concubines and gold and silver. And, and, and if you needed more, David, God would given it to you, but look what you went and did. That grieved David. That's what true repentance will do. Break away from sin. Turn around. Let me tell you, when you get saved, you don't go cussing and swearing and living like the devil after you get saved, like you were before you get saved. Yeah. When you, when, when you, when you get saved and truly born again, old things are passed away and all things have become new. I am trying to hurry up here. Anybody with me here this morning? When you get saved, you don't hang with the crowd that drags you into sin. When you get saved, you don't speak the language of the world, the flesh, and the devil that kept you in sin. When you get saved, you don't, you don't do the boozing and the womanizing and the lying and the cheating. The Bible says you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Somebody thank God for that deliverance. Yes. God gives you the power to do that. You don't sleep around and have sex before marriage, and you don't have sex with somebody else's spouse in marriage. No. You break away from sin. You don't have any hidden sites on the Internet and have hidden things in the computer or hidden videos in your house. You ask God to give you the power to, to break away from sin. There's a 180-degree turnaround. You were once on the road to hell, but now you're on the road to heaven. Don't tell me you can't do it. God, the Holy Ghost, will help you do it. And if you slip and fall, God will send you a Nathan. Oh, I feel his presence here. You all okay? You don't go home and have lunch anyhow, so hang in there. 
Give me the next point there. You know when somebody's truly repentant? When their spirit is broken and they're humble. Psalm 51, 17. Look in your scriptures or look on the screen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Search me, O oh Lord. Search me. I've, I've needed that in my life. I've needed that in my life. I've needed my mother, my father, other people to tell me. You're not Mr. Perfect. There's some things I need to learn. You know what? Repentance is not demonstrated because you, you got caught, you got angry. That's, anger is not repentance. Got caught and you get bitter. Got caught and you got proud. That's not repentance. Some people who are wrong and strong, that's not repentance. David, I can just see David confronted by Nathan. He had the option to say to Nathan, it's all Bathsheba's fault. But let me tell you something. Bathsheba is to blame too. She's not guilt free. Nobody had to hog tie her and drag her over to the palace. Give me an amen or owe me or something here. Huh? She stayed. Matter of fact, she could have turned the king in after the act was committed. So she has to blame. But just because somebody's partner in sin with me or you, God forbid, doesn't mean that I blame them for my deliberate choices of disobedience. Bathsheba got to confess for her own junk. Just like David got to confess for his junk. Just like I got to Thank God for the Nathans who helped me to see my junk. That's a broken and humble spirit. And then last, and, and I'm closing. Genuine repentance is the claiming of God's forgiveness and a reinstatement. When you get time, and I don't have the time, you read, you read all of chapter 51 of Psalm. You'll find how God, God said, and, and when you go back to 2 Samuel, you don't have to go there now, when you go back to 2 Samuel, verses 13 and 14, the Lord said to David, I'll forgive your sins and will let you live. Wow. That's a big one. That's real forgiveness. You know why? Because in that day and time, anyone found guilty of adultery would be killed. Man or woman, both. Stoned to death. Killed. David, just like Bathsheba, deserved to die. But because David was genuinely repentant, no curry in favor here because he's king, but because he was transparent, because he confessed, because he had a broken heart, because he came clean with God, God says, I'm going to let you live. Oh, hallelujah. Well, that's the only reason enough to thank God that I'll die. I deserve to die, but you let me. 